Hello, welcome to another episode of Hope with Danny, a podcast dedicated to inspire listeners everywhere with weekly stories and personal testimonies from our wide range of guests. I'm your host, Danny Daniel, and thank you for listening. Today we have the honor of talking to somebody that we've already interviewed before. He was my guest way back in January, and you know he's got to be important to us and to our show and what we're trying to do. It's my pastor, uh, my uh, pastor, former pastor, uh, Jerry Varnado, and we're going to hear his story today. It's going to be very much uh, imparting to you. You're going to learn something from it, and, uh, you know, everybody has a story, and everybody uh, needs hope, and Jerry's certainly in that category. Uh, So Jerry Varnado, who is uh, a well-known pastor in the Athens area and beyond, and a lot more things that he's done. Uh, he's going to tell us, like Paul Harvey used to call it, the rest of the story. Uh, Jerry, <laughs> glad to have you with us this morning. Well, good to be here, Danny. I appreciate this opportunity. Well, it's it's an opportunity for us as well. Uh, Jerry, take us back to Valosta, Georgia. The greatest uh, high school uh, rivalry, I think, in the state is Valdosta and Clark Central, and before that, Athens, uh, Athens High School. Take us back to your times at Valdosta High. Well, I, I didn't. I wasn't raised in Valdosta. Uh, I didn't move there till in the fourth grade. I had spent my early life in Jacksonville, Florida. I was actually born uh, in Bogalusa, Louisiana. So I wasn't. I'm not a native Valdostan, but we uh, showed up there in the. Well, I was in the fifth grade. We uh, uh, moved into to the town, and uh, and that's. That's where I grew up, just a very average middle-class family. Uh, and so I left there in, uh, in 1962, the fall of 62, to come to the University of Georgia. And uh, I was, I guess what you would call today a, uh, a, uh, a preferred walk-on. I didn't have a scholarship, but I had the promise of one. If I had paid my way the first some first two quarters or a year, what, whatever it was, and uh, anyway, I came to Georgia and uh, I, I was not a very good football player in, in Valdosta. Uh, I mean, I didn't I didn't play. I wasn't a starter till I was a senior, but uh, and I only weighed 165 pounds, if you can believe that. But anyway, uh, I played in the All Star game. We we won the state championship my uh, senior year and uh and uh, well we actually won it my junior and senior year and uh go coach Dooley we only have four seniors on our team and coach Dooley I mean uh, coach Bazemore uh got us all in the all-star game and after the all-star game uh the coach there was a uh an assistant coach to Georgia, and he's the one that got me to come to Athens, which is what I really wanted to do. It was like a dream come true. Well, Jerry, so, I never heard of a preferred walk-on. That's a new title for me. Uh, but I, I I think you did a whole lot better job than maybe you did at Val Austin at the University of Georgia because you're very well known for your accomplishments and your contributions there. Uh, as a matter of fact, those were the years that I went to University of Georgia between 1966 and 1970. We had some pretty good teams at that point in time. Didn't we have two SEC titles? Uh, we did. We did. But when I started in 1962, uh, first two years, I was 62 and 63, we went a three-year stretch where we won a total of 10 games in three years. 
and uh, and lost the tech, every one of them, I think. And uh, we were it, it, it was down when Coach Dooley came. Uh, we, we were we were at the bottom of the pile. And he did a great job of giving us some hope. <laughs> there you go. Uh, talk, talk about hope, but we didn't have much, and it was sort of a dismal existence in Georgia. But he came and brought in a new staff, and they started convincing us that we didn't have to be losers, that we could be winners. And uh, we began to build up our hope. And uh, that first uh, first year, Dewey's first year was uh, 64, uh, we were – Six, three, and one uh, in, in the uh, regular season. We got an invitation to play in the Sun Bowl and beat Texas Tech in the Sun Bowl. So we wound up uh, uh, seven, uh, three, and one, and uh, which was a tremendous difference from the three sevens and, and the three five twos and that kind of thing we were having the three years before. Matter of fact, I told somebody you thought we won the national championship. People were so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were the predecessor to the uh, 66 through 70 teams and thereafter. And uh, well, that the core of that 66 team that won the SEC and finished four in the nation uh, was the class I was playing with. Most of us were redshirt sophomores in 64 and a big core of those played all those three years. And uh, it, it was just exciting to see what happened. We had a very good team in 65 as well. Uh, we beat Alabama, the national defending national champion, who went on to win the national championship that year. We beat them in the opening game. Uh, we went four, We were 4-0 uh, the first four games, and we went to Ann Arbor and beat Michigan, who was the defending Big Ten champion. And so people really had high hopes, but... We had we started having a lot of injuries, and uh, we we had uh, and we just didn't have much depth, and so when we had the injuries, we, we dropped a few games in the middle, and we started getting folks back, and then we finished out okay. We we finished six and four, uh, but uh, we lost those four games almost in a row. I think we had one win in in the five games in the middle of the schedule, but anyway, that team then went on. 1966 uh, to win the SEC championship and also uh, uh, ended number four in the nation. Well, again, I say some of your uh, classmates, your uh, teammates went on to pave the way. And uh, uh, I I don't believe much in the past unless you can enjoy the beauty of it or you can learn from it. And uh, the football team learned from y'all successes. And I, I appreciate that. Well, let's uh, let's move on down the way in your journey uh, until you became an attorney. And when you were an attorney, I knew you. I think that you closed my house. I'm, I'm not I think positive, I did too. Uh, but I, think I think I did. You, did. you closed everybody's house that I know of. <laughs> well, and I, I was I closed a lot of home loans. I did. Well, uh, I and, joined. And, and that's kind of when I got to know you better. And 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 I knew you as a guy that uh, had tons of friends, and you had everything. Just everything you could want, and uh, well, I, I, I was I was fairly successful. We had uh, I married well, um, uh, and uh, so we we were we were riding the social ladder pretty high, and financially we're doing well, and uh, we we were we're kind of on top of the world. Uh, 
but it was a world. It it was it was a house made of cards. <laughs> we we didn't we we weren't counting on God uh, for anything. Uh, we uh, uh, we we were counting on our own ability and our money we could make to have our happiness and 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 you know we to the world we were doing fine but when life got difficult uh we didn't have any resources to deal with at least i didn't well and, uh, you know I, I always say because i'm a eternal optimist uh and i'm just that's all i can say i've been born with but i always feel like from tragedy uh comes triumph Depends on your attitude and and where you uh, have the big man, as I call him, uh, Jesus and God in your in your daily lives. So here we have some tragedy, uh, and it's not just one thing; it's more than one. Well, yes, uh, August twenty ninth, nineteen seventy eight, my eight year old daughter Alden uh, was killed in a tragic accident in her aunt's home in Miami, Florida. And uh, it, it was a, a devastating, I, I guess I can't even explain how horrible uh, it was. Uh, and two years to the day after that, my best friend Don Terry died in his sleep at age, I think he was 43 or four, something like that. He Good was gracious. Uh, eight or 10 years older than I was. Uh, but uh, he just, he died. Uh, and he was the one that was holding me up, uh, keeping me from just falling off the end of the earth over my daughter's death. And our houses backed up to one another, and there was a bridge, uh, a uh, creek that separated our properties, and he had built a bridge across the creek so we could get back and forth. And he used to sit on that bridge and cry on his shoulder, I mean, at least one day a week for two years. Uh, but there, there was no relief for the awful pain that I experienced because I, I really didn't have any living hope. Uh, all of my hope was in my material success. Now, don't get me wrong. I was a member of a Christian church. I had been to the altar, made a profession of faith, and I believed my sins were forgiven, and I believed I was going to heaven when I die. But it was just all words. It wasn't reality that had sunk into the center of my life. And uh, so I, I didn't have hope to get me through those, those very difficult years. Well, Jerry, I, I have no clue as to what you went through. I say the absolute worst thing that can happen to a parent is to lose a son or a daughter. I don't care whether that son or daughter is 40 years old. To, have, to lose a son or daughter... There's no pain, in my opinion, any greater. Uh, you're, you're right about that. Uh, I, I don't know of any. Uh, but what I found out in that situation is that my success failed me. <laughs> I was crippled. And uh, my crutches were Don Terry and, uh, and, and uh, the family that I had left. And then Don died. And then the day that Don died, I found out that my wife had filed for divorce. She had to tell me because she was afraid somebody was going to come serve papers on me, and she didn't want me to find out that way. So Wait she a minute, had she, to she, tell she me. served you papers on the day that Don died? What now? 
No, no, she told me. She told you. That she, she told me that she got an attorney and uh, that she was filing for divorce. And uh, she wasn't mean about that. I had been out of town for a week with my, uh, uh, with my daughter, uh, my younger daughter. We had been visiting friends in Wyoming, and we had gone to Yellowstone and backpacked and camped and trout fished and that kind of thing. And, uh, and that, when I found out the day before I was to come back, uh, I found out that Dawn had died. So I came back, and she, she was my former wife didn't have any choice then. She, she had already set in motion uh, the process of divorce. I didn't know about it yet. And she didn't want me to find out from somebody else. You see what I'm saying? That makes sense. So, yeah. so she, she wasn't trying to be mean or anything, but it had been awful in the throes of all that meeting, you know, for the somebody to show up and serve me with papers or something uh, for the divorce that was already in the hands of her attorney. So, so I found out uh, that very day that I got back, which was the day that Don died. He died early that morning, and I got back late that afternoon. Well, the, uh, the, the, the thread of hope in your life, I love that word, uh, comes from the fact that it holds you together, uh, and it held you together, and you went through these valleys. But they're, they're mountaintops to come to you very soon after that. Well, I said, but during that different time, I didn't have any hope. I was a broken and I was a beaten man. I mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't have any hope at all. I wanted to die. And, uh, and, and I mean, that's the way, way it was. But then I had this good friend in a hunting camp named Jim Kilgo. Uh, he was an English professor at the University of Georgia, uh, a devout Christian and a Sunday school teacher. I didn't know that about him at the time, but somehow, for some reason, I people were at my house and Don Terry's house visiting his widow. They would come across back and forth to the bridge. So there was a crowd of people at my house. So I was heading back to my house, and I saw Don on the uh, on the path walking. I can't remember which way he's walking. But I said. Jim, I, I need to talk to you. And I don't know why I said that, because I, he, he was not a close confidant of mine at that point in time. But anyway, we wound up talking on that bridge, and I told him how broken and beaten I was, and I didn't have, uh, I just didn't know how I was going to go on living. I wasn't suicidal, but if I'd have had a good chance to die, I'd have taken it. <laughs> but, so, but anyway, uh, uh, we talking on that bridge. He said, well, uh, I, I believe God wants to help you get through this difficult time. If you would just give your life to him. And I, and I looked at him and I said, now I didn't know that I said this. I heard Jim giving my testimony to somebody else. And he told me this is what he said. I didn't remember saying it. I said, Don, I said, Jim, I've made a mess of my life. And if God can do anything with what's left of it, he can have it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And uh, he said, well, let's pray. And he prayed me, led me in a prayer of surrender. Now, keep in mind, I, I, was, I believe I was saved. I was a Christian, but I'd never really given my life over to God. He said, God, I don't want, I want to do things my way anymore. I want to do them your way. And uh, so... Uh, 
he prayed with me and instantly I had hope. And instant, instantly you went to seminary. <laughs> no, no, it, that was four, about four years later before I went to seminary. Okay. So I started going to Jim Sunday school class and, and growing in the Lord. And, and this is where, uh, this is the plans I didn't know God had for me, but the most beautiful woman in the world had started going to St. James church here in Athens. And, uh, I used, I would see her in the choir, but she, I thought she was much too young for me, but little did I know Jim Kilgo's wife, Jane, and several of the other ladies at the church were plotting to get us together. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, uh, after a while they, they did, it, it, it's an interesting story. Probably don't have time to, to go into it, but anyway, we met and we started dating and we were, uh, you know, our, our, our meeting was our, our, our lives were so filled with, uh, spiritual learning and growing. And, uh, it was just a wonderful time, uh, the three or four years, uh, that, that we were together at St. James uh, and what a great community of Christians that helped us grow. And we just, I just saw the, my hope just totally changed. And uh, I had, but here, here's the difference. I still had grief, but I had the hope of eternal life. And when I met Jesus and he personally touched my heart and life, and I knew this was real, it became real to me. It wasn't just words that we talked or things we said we believed because we thought we ought to believe them. I really believed it. And I believed that I would see my daughter again. And, uh, and that gave me hope. And, uh, and, and, and I, I think that people who are hopeless are godless. And, and what I mean by that, uh, people who are hopeless uh, have e either do not know God or else they have been duped in believing that God cannot help them, cannot touch their situation. You, you know what, uh, you, you see what I'm saying? Uh, and, uh, and I was hopeless because I didn't see how God could help my situation. My daughter was dead. But then when I realized that this man, Jesus, who died, went into the grave and came out a victor. And now all of a sudden his words to me and to all of us said, but the one who lives and believes in me will never die. And my little girl believed in him. God bless her mother. She took her to Sunday school class. I neglected that at all, but I know that they believed it because my, my younger girl, who was five years old, and just several weeks after her sister died, she was drawing pictures and things. And every time she would draw a picture that was outside, she'd put clouds up there, and then she would put a little cross up there and a little figure. And I said, what is that up in the clouds? And she said, that's all in up in heaven. Mm. Oh boy. Uh, and that would bring a motion to anybody from the mouths of little children comes the praise of God. I'm telling you, I was, I was in Wyoming and I was dreading. Uh, I, my heart was so grieved. We're in the, uh, we, I had rented, uh, a, like a 
eight-passenger van because of two families are going to be traveling in it. And uh, we're driving in that van back to Denver to catch a plane, and I, I can't quit crying. And she's got a red bandana wiping tears out of my eyes and said, Daddy, don't be sad. Now Alden has a friend in heaven. Mm. We just got we just gotten the news that Don died. She said, They don't be sad because now Alden has a friend in heaven. And Alden just loved Big Don. They all they called him Big Don. And because uh, he was such a big guy. But then, you know, when I realized the promises of the gospel of Jesus. I begin to have hope again. And when I begin to have hope, I begin to live. And well, quite, quite the story. And I'm sure you could talk about this for hours, uh, although you couldn't without me uh, getting the microphone wet with my tears. So uh, <laughs> I don't want to do that at this point. But I, I do want to move on to this beautiful woman you, you met and married, Beverly, and how you got to Boggs Chapel. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, Be Beverly uh, was a member of a Methodist church uh, in Tacoa, Georgia, St. James Methodist Church in, in, uh, in Tacoa. And her pastor there said, there's a pastor friend of mine that's pastor at St. James in Athens, and that's where you should go to church. I encourage you to do that. And so... That's, of course, where I was going. I was going. This was about maybe uh, six months or a year uh, after I started going there. And I noticed this beautiful young lady that, uh, that was singing in the choir. <laughs> and I, I confess I looked at her, but I, I really didn't even know her name because I said, well, she was much too young for me. Anyway, she is 11 years younger than I am. Uh, but anyway, as I said, uh, Jane and uh, some of the other ladies at the church were plotting against us, or uh, not plotting for us, I should say. But uh, finally, uh, one day, uh, we, after church, Jane said, uh, you want to come over and eat dinner? We're having leftovers. I'd eaten supper with them the night before. And, uh, and I said, sure, I'd love to. And she says, we got plenty if you want to ask Beverly. Oh, my goodness. Talking about plotting. <laughs> <laughs> well, she finally decided to come out with it. But anyway, I said, well, I don't know about that. And I I, I was scared to death. I mean, I, I'd been married for 13 years. I didn't. I, I, this dating was kind of new. But anyway, I went down the hall and turned to the right. And when I did, I ran into somebody and about bopped them down. And it was Beverly. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> I said, Beverly, would you like to go to lunch over the Kilgos? And she said, yeah, I'd love to. She probably already knew about it anyway. <laughs> no, she didn't know about it. They, okay. She didn't know about the plot either. They, they, they were working to get us together that neither one of us knew it. So anyway, we went to, uh, we went to their house for lunch and uh, just... A few days after that, I think we had our first, quote, real date. And uh, do you remember in this in the movie Bambi? Yeah. And and Bambi was asking the, the wise old owl about 
why it was that the boys and the girls got together in the springtime <laughs> when the animals start, to, you know, and he said it was because they're twicker pages. <laughs> oh, that's good. And, uh, well, I, I was twicker pated. Uh, in fact, I, I remember, I, I think about some of the stupid things I did when, uh, I took Beverly home after that date and I said, well, would you like to go out again sometimes? And she said, uh, well, when? And That's I better said, than maybe. Yeah. She said, when? And I said, well, how about every night the rest of your life? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty quick on your part. I was on the first date. But oddly enough, then we dated for six years, a little over six years before we actually got married. Uh, but but those were good years. You know, all years have ups and downs and struggles and stuff, but they were good years. But anyway, we shared a lot of ministry together, and I found out that she was she played the piano and sang and uh, sang in the choir. She played the piano, and, and then she also, uh, I was started speaking in local churches as a layperson, and often she would come and do the special music. And uh, so we began to, you know, work together and uh, we were doing things in church together. So uh, it was a solid relationship. But then I uh, decided that I, I wanted to go to seminary. So I left law practice and I went to Canada School of Theology in Emory. And while I was there, I found out you could be a preacher while you're in seminary. And I didn't know if I wanted to be a preacher or not. I just knew I wanted to go to seminary. I wanted to study the Bible. And so anyway, I, I got I got a church appointment. I told my district superintendent that I could I had to have a church in Athens uh, that I couldn't I couldn't go outside because of my daughter. Uh, she had uh, had moved to Atlanta with her mother, and she came back to Athens. She had a lot of friends here, particularly the Kilgo's daughter, and I wasn't going to put herself in a situation and separate her from her friends. So anyway, Diaz called me a couple of times, and somebody, a, 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 a preacher that was on leave of absence to go back to school was attending St. James, and he said, there's a church out there on the Jefferson River Road that would be just right for you called Boggs Chapel. And I said, well, it's not on the list of student appointments. And it wasn't, because at the point at that time, they had a full-time local pastor there. But he, he said, well, I think that's where you need to be. And I think that's of God. So my daughter, Mari, and I went out and walked around that church one day, and the parsonage was right across the street. And uh, I said, well, how would you like it if we moved out here and went to the church here, if I was the preacher? And she said, we thought that'd be okay. So I didn't say anything to DS about it. I didn't say a word. The last day of appointments, he called me from St. Simon's Island, and said, Jerry, I've got another possibility for you. I said, what is that? And he said, how, how, what do you think about going to Boggs Chapel? And I, I wanted to make sure, you know, there weren't two churches around with the same name, which there, there is a good bit of that uh, in the Methodist Church. And I said, you're talking about the church out on Jefferson Road? He said, yeah. I said, well, I think that'll work out real good. I can do that. So that's how I came to be at Boggs Chapel. When I got here, I found out they didn't have a piano player. So I asked Beverly if she would come play the piano for us 
until uh, we could find somebody to take the job permanently. She said she would. Well, Jerry, we're, we're getting very, very close to the end, but, uh, you know, your rest of the story would take another hour, and we don't have that much time. But I do want to mention the fact that you drew a lot of people out to Boggs Chapel, including myself and my wife, Mandy, and uh, my children. And you had two miracle children out there, uh, Aaron and Bethany. Uh, yes. Aaron played soccer with Ty and uh, Bethany. They're both doing well now, I understand. But the biggest deal to me to come into your church was, were two things. Number one, how could that little small choir be as good as the great big choir in some of the other churches? And I really believe that, and I still do. And secondly, I love the Methodist church for one major reason. They have an altar. And in front of God and the world and the members of the church, you can walk down there and go down to that altar. And I did it along with, I think, 20 other people, and we accepted Jesus again. Uh, so what you're doing is fantastic. You're now the chaplain of the uh, Touchdown Club of Athens, and you're doing a lot of other things, including being uh, in the church at uh, Red, uh, is it Ray's Church? Uh, you're the Ray's pastor church. there. And we just. I'm also, I'm also the chaplain for the Athens Academy uh, football team. Uh, can't beat that. My son was there for a good while and played football as well. Uh, we know that you're going to continue to do great things and make a difference in not only your life, but others. I sure hope so. I have that hope. And I want people to understand that you've got the right title. The thing is hope. But there really is no hope apart from God. Subscribe to our social media and share your stories on the HopeWithDanny.com website. Remember, it's all about hope. I'm your host, Danny Daniel. This episode was recorded at Vega Studios.